What is up, you guys? Welcome to the Next Level You podcast. I am your host, Aubrey Thomas, and I am an intuitive mindset coach for women who know they are meant for more. This is a podcast community for women reaching new levels in love, business, health, and so much more. This is about becoming Next Level You greatness. So I will be featuring bold women from all walks of life who are answering the call and choosing to rise up. In this podcast, we dive deep into the realness of what it takes to get to the top. So stay tuned for tips, tricks, and inspiration for the average, not so average female badass. A place where we can reach new levels together. Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome back to another episode of Next Level You. You guys, today's conversation is deep and one that I felt so moved and inspired to feature this week as we move into this new year. I had the privilege of interviewing two very special men for today's episode. Ryan Gartrell and Dean Moses are the founders of Spearhead Health. Now, Spearhead Health is a dynamic team of behavioral healthcare professionals that offer pre- and post-treatment services for people that suffer from mental health and substance use disorders. You guys, I think that it is always important to nurture your mental health, but at this time in the world, 2020, COVID, lockdown, more than ever before, we need advocates like Spearhead Health to send the message that you are not alone, you can get help, and you can turn things around. Dean and Ryan share their incredibly empowering journeys in overcoming addiction and truly reaching new levels in their life. I cannot wait to share this with you. This conversation is so powerful. So without further ado, let's dive in. Ryan, Dean, thank you guys for being here. Oh yeah, thank you. I am so excited to jump into today's topic. Like I mentioned in the intro, Ryan and Dean are both the founders of Spearhead Health. And first and foremost, as all of my podcast starts, I would love to jump into both of your guys' stories, your journeys, what brought you to the place that you are now, what caused you to rise up, what caused you to level up. Um, Take it away, whoever wants to start first. Dean, lead the way, buddy. Okay. So... I'm coming up on five years of recovery, sobriety, wellness, whatever you want to call it. I'll have five years in January. I know Ryan is right around six years coming up. And we were both, like, just to get into the nitty gritty, we were both, you know, drug addicts and IV heroin addicts. And, you know, we've turned our lives around. Ryan's from North Carolina, I'm from Dallas, Texas come from a Jewish family. And, you know, when I was, I, I got mixed up down in Austin and kind of the music scene and, you know, the heady scene where drugs were copious and they were accepted. And, you know, my life took uh, a dark turn and, and I chose, you know, unintentionally a dark path that led me from, you know, substances and opiates into you know oxycontin and then into heroin Mm. at a young age like you know 20 for me young 20 years old ryan was actually my 
much younger. And when I was about 27, I was just like, I was really broken and I was spiritually bankrupt and I was, you know, dwindling away and my soul was in a lot of pain and I was carrying around a lot of shame and a lot of guilt. And I didn't have a ton of experience with residential treatment and my own mental health and wellness and drug and alcohol treatment. And I had tried all sorts of different ways to get sober and, and to level up in my own life. And I just couldn't do it on my own. And my brother had come out here to a Jewish nonprofit treatment center called Beit Shuva, which was an incredible place. And I decided to follow in his footsteps. And I was really just tired of living the way that I was living. And I was like gross and skinny and pale and like just withered away. And for me, it's like, I always say is like, really like my soul was just depleted and like looking for a way out. And, you know, and I felt that. Wow. Really. And were your parents aware at the time? They were certainly aware, but my parents are Israeli and like, they don't know the first thing about mental health or like therapy or, or treatment, residential treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, they just, you know, my mom tried to beat this thing with like love and, you know, and, and she's a role model of mine and, and a mentor and a best friend to me, but she didn't, she didn't know what to do. And so I tried all these different things from, you know, Suboxone maintenance to AA without a sponsor and tried like just doing other substances and excluding certain ones. And like, I just really couldn't do it. Like I flew to Mexico to do a plant-based medicine, Ibogaine, at like one of their facilities. And none of it was enough for me. Like I really needed to like hit the pause button, surrender. And I went to residential treatment and I stayed there for like nine or 10 months. Wow. Like after a few months, I had some freedom. I had my car, I had a job. You know, I was learning humility and, and working on jobs and taking jobs that I, I felt were beneath me, but that's what I needed. I needed like the get well job, right? And like, they're just like, just to work, build some self-esteem. And yeah, I stayed there for nine months and then I just, I really never turned back. Like I was like, okay, like this is good, right? This is like a new life. And I was able to like tap into some things that I was interested before, you know, my, my drug history and my, my usage. And unfortunately, I read a statistic the other day that this year in, in the pandemic, like more people have overdosed in the United States than any year prior. Yeah. And that's due to like isolation and right. Like the lack of community that's available to us with mm. stay at home orders and, you know, things have changed. So that's really sad to see. And a big part of what we do is try to like support people, build community around people, provide services, you know, coach them, mentor them, get them to the other side. And, you know, we have an office in West LA and we try to utilize this safe haven and this beautiful space that's calming and relaxing and still meeting people in person and trying to get people out of their homes in a safe way. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit about my story, I would say. And, you know, five years later, here we are with a an amazing supportive case management company. And, you know, we travel the country doing interventions and treatment placement and getting people, 
you know, matching them up with the right people or the right treatment center and trying to quarterback their, their care. Wow. That's so powerful and so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And I think you touched on something really important is that not all people are going through this process completely oblivious that they need help or don't want help. Like you wanted help. You wanted to change. And most people don't take the time to realize that, that a lot of the people out there who are addicts or who need help with their mental health are not wanting the life that they have anymore. They're struggling because of the addiction. It's not that they're just so far gone that they can't be helped. They want the help. So thank you for touching on that. Yeah. And you got to remember though, it took me like many years to get there, right? Like it took so much pain. It took death of very close friends of mine, like me overdosing, you know, my brother overdosing and, and making it. So it took years to get there, you know, and you're, 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 the disease of addiction or the, the circumstance of addiction is one of <clears throat> intense isolation and fear and shame and guilt. And so it's the cycle and it's, it's very easy to get caught up in it for many, many years, you know, kind of like hide it. And, and that in itself is shameful and to be lying to your family and your friends. And it's just such a, a destructive cycle. Mm-hmm. And I'm, thankful that I'm out of it and I'm on the other side and have the ability to help people navigate that road today. But yeah, I just want to touch on like it, you know, it took years to get to the other side and it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't. Um, But yeah, it took a long time. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we'll, there's so many points I want to touch on, but I would love to hear uh, from Ryan as well. And I'm sure listeners are hanging on the edge of their seats listening to this. I know I am. It's so interesting. And, and I love the message that you guys are sharing. So. Yeah, I, um, I mean, as far as leveling up goes, I, I just, I love the name of your podcast because I feel like addiction or no addiction, I'm constantly looking for ways to level up. So I don't necessarily see it as this one isolated event per se. I mean, I think that, overcoming a severe heroin addiction was certainly one of the grander cases of leveling up for me that has allowed for me to level up in a lot of other areas in my life that I likely would have never been able to had I not gotten clean. Sure. Um, But you know, what led me here was that, I mean, that's how I ended up doing what I'm doing with Dean and with Spirit Health. And so, you know, for me, it was, I was 15 years old and, you know, by that time I'd smoked weed and drank a little bit of alcohol and then heroin came into the play at, at 15 years old. And, you know, so on and off without all the details, I mean, it was a 10 year just span of hell more or less in and out of different treatment centers and courtrooms and jail and just not desirable, nothing desirable really. Um, you know, and so I think that Dean kind of spoke to it is like, you know, I tried many things to get to where I am now, you know, whatever that is. I mean, I still find myself like I want to be somewhere where I'm not. I think, like I said, no addiction or addiction. Like what I've seen is working with people is that we get the things we want and then we get them. And it's like we don't even celebrate that we got everything that we want. It's like, what's the next thing? 
-hmm. you know, it's constantly that level up. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's been uh, more so what's hard for me is trying to appreciate the work that has been put in and the results that have come rather than just like, I'm constantly what's next, what's next, what's next. You know, it's a, I would say it's an issue for me personally, but as it relates to, you know, my journey and recovery and addiction, um, you know, that was a big level up for me. You know, I was, I'd get six months sober, nine months sober. I'd try to eat clean, work out, exercise, don't go to AA. I'd try AA, but don't do the steps. I'd try methadone and do nothing else. I'd try Vivitrol and smoke weed, but don't do anything else. I'd try faith-based treatment. That works for nine months. And so it was a journey, um, you know, all along the way. And my intentions were usually pure and good like i didn't want to continue to be a heroin addict you know i didn't want that to be the narrative in my head and you know it's hard especially coming from a smaller town and you know conservative greensboro north carolina um you know everybody kind of knows everybody when you're in a community like that and you know as a young adult you know, when you're just trying to figure out who you are and have all these ideas about what's cool and which path you go and what did my parents do and how why is their path so different from the other friends' parents' paths and, you know, word gets out about you, it's really hard for you to, at least for me, it was really challenging for me to see myself as anything other than my past. Mm. Because I felt like every time I ran into people, all that I knew that they could think of me was things based on the past. At least that was the experience I was having. I may have been wrong and it may have been delusional, but you know, I feel like I know the world that we live in and, and your reputation does precede you. And uh, I didn't have a great reputation for a very long time. So it made it really tough to come out of that, you know, and they go to treatment and come home and your parents kind of still see the same, oh, well, your eyes look red, are you still, and so that narrative, it's like, you can't get rid of it. And so that's for me, and I think Dean as well, is like, why what we do, there's just such a passion for it because we were two people that battled for years. And, you know, each of our parents saw it differently, you know. Right. And there wasn't necessarily anybody to step in and like really advocate for me, but also educate my family so that it wasn't just somebody advocating for me, but like so that the there was cohesion between what is Ryan working on and what is the family working on and how do we, how can we look at Ryan through a different lens that kind of affords him a new opportunity to view himself differently than his past. Um, and so the big, big thing for me um, in terms of leveling up, you know, besides like obviously not using heroin, I think a moment that was pivotal for me was um, the last time I went to treatment. And, you know, I think that it would, it, I wouldn't have had the perspective that I had had I not gone through all of the series of events that I went through and survived. You know, I think I was very fortunate to live and make it through everything that I did. Um, but I came out to California and somehow ended up at a treatment center in Malibu. And I had gotten used to having money and I didn't have money. And, and 
you know, my identity was usually so wrapped up in the external things and I was sort of forced into a corner of like, damn, you know, I'm not, I don't have the money. I'm not in this power position of like, you need me. Now it's like, oh, well, what am I going to do? I don't have a lot. I didn't even call my family to tell them initially that I'd come out here. And uh, I remember I was sitting on the back patio there alone and tempted to resort back to selling drugs because that was a part of my path and my journey. And it was a pretty easy thing for me to do because I had done it so long. And I was like, no, I, every time it leads me back to the same place. And, um, and I'm literally like, conversating with myself you know no one else around on the back patio and um you know there was something where i was like man and there are a few things in life that i felt like i could say i know and i was like i know people appreciate honesty i know people appreciate kindness i know people appreciate humility i know people appreciate patience things that are not tangible i don't i don't need money for those things and you know there was something that my dad I, I kind of looked at my dad and reflected on like some of his friends and him telling me something that you know i, I never forgot and um he has a friend he had one of his best friends a very successful guy my dad wasn't some overachiever by any means he was kind of the i'd say the world's greatest underachiever you know he found a way to do less and do what he loved and survive and you know that worked for him but you know, he was like, why do you think that, you know, this person really invites me to all these golf tournaments and has me to their beach house and blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not somebody with a bunch of money. And, and he was like, Ryan, he knows what he's going to get with me. You know, I'm, I'm honest. I don't, I don't care about those things or whatever. And like, so I think at that point, the thoughts I was having on that patio and then my dad always saying to me, your word is all you have in life, I kind of collided because I didn't have anything else. And um, me moving forward with just like, how can I move forward in my life and do my best to live through those things, through the honesty, through the kindness, through the hard work, through the patience, through the humility. Right. And that simple set of things, like even when I'm working with people today, like if I go through my text message with participants of ours, I'm like, honesty, kindness, humility, hard work, patience, show up, help others. You know, don't overcomplicate it. I'm not asking you to call yourself an addict or whatever. Like just do those simple things and don't get high today. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if we're working with somebody that's dealing with substances, because that was literally like my saving grace. Because I didn't want to be the, I didn't ever like being labeled an addict. I didn't want to make that my, I had to live out this story of I'm an addict that did X, Y, Z. I'd rather be like, I'm Ryan and I'm honest and I'm kind and I show up, I work hard, I'm patient, I do my best to be humble, blah, blah, blah. And for me, that's a story that sits better for me. And so I would say that was like the bigger level up for me that sort of set me up for all the other level ups since then or things that I'm working on. Wow. So powerful. Thank you. Thank you both for those stories. It's completely inspiring and completely like heart wrenching. And, and I think that you also touched on something that I'd like to point out is that nothing changes if nothing changes and you sitting there, we have to be willing to allow who we were to die, to step into who we are. And, and it's very hard because we're oftentimes living in our past always. And that mindset carries us through our entire lives. 
and we realize that the the patterns that keep repeating themselves are going to be on replay until we make a shift and it was beautiful that you realized that your family realized they all had to treat you as new Ryan as a different Ryan than they had known for you to be able to move on and I want to go back briefly to something Dean had said about having no community feeling isolated that's something we're dealing with now but do you feel like that initially I mean being 15 years old people would think oh they had to come from a terrible family or they had to have been you know whatever but you guys came from beautiful loving families so where do you do you think that isolation and lack of community contributed to the addiction in the first place no not not for me like i had i had a lot of friends and high school and in college like people wanted to be around me and it was more like self-imposed right like when you're starting to do like sketchy shit that your girlfriend doesn't approve of your family doesn't approve of your friends don't approve of Mm. like you tend to just isolate yourself right and then after so long of isolating yourself like your friends know what you're up to and they're like, I don't want to fucking be around that. Like, that's bad. Like, that's dark. Like, oh, like we'll do the pills and snort and smoke the pills and, you know, and do this and that. But like, oh, he's doing heroin, right? And so you it, initially for me, it was like I isolated myself and then there was like, you know, a group of people that were like not so much my close friends that were also doing that. And so you just kind of like find yourself like gravitating towards like that right well, they're like, isolating yourself yeah. so you're doing it to yourself and then like the people that care about you like at some point like they have to draw a boundary with like themselves and you know our other friends and be like like we don't approve of that like we, we won't accept that you're better than that and so it's kind of this you know self-imposed isolation and crisis so like I had like really good friends and community and and I'm still like really close with a lot of my high school friends and a lot of my college friends. And like, they're so stoked to see me doing well. And like, I've been, you know, year, a couple of years back, I went to Vegas with a group of my, my good, good buddies from college and that music scene. And like, they were partying and they were getting down and they were having a good time. Most of them are married now. And like, they still like to have a little fun here and there. And we went to see, one of our favorite bands and you know I just went into I was about a year sober and I went into it with that mindset of like I had no desire to to get on that level I was on my own level and I was also responsible for like the energy that I brought to the table and I was still you know partying sober and up till four or five in the morning and that's not like a common thing but it was awesome to like be around some things that I used to do and have no inclination or no desire due to, you know, some sort of spiritual awakening or psychic change that occurred around a year sober for me. Right. And something that I was thinking of, like, uh, um, you know, a big, big piece of growth and a big piece of leveling up was getting to a point where I had the opportunity to help another individual. And this was, you know, prior to, the services that we provide at Spearhead Health of, you know, coaching and mentoring and case management and like really being the, you know, crux and pivot of somebody's care and treatment. This was more like service work through AA and sponsoring guys and, and just showing up. And 
you know, it's like this saying, like, the more you give, the more you get, right? And so if our consciousness, if our life can really just be about giving, we'll be so full, you know, and it's hard. It's a hard, like, we live in Los Angeles. It's like the epitome of, like, there's a lot of health and wellness and light in LA, and then there's a lot of, like, dark, sleazy shit going on here, and a lot of, like, shiny things to look at and like you know it's very easy to like feel black here and less than and you know it's like we didn't get in this business to make a bunch of money you know so it's you know living in LA can be difficult and so that's kind of where I'm at today it's like the battle of like self-centeredness and other-centeredness right and like mm. selfishness and, and giving and it's a very like Kabbalistic thing as well right it's like our soul you know, the piece of us that's godly or has the essence of God in it is like a sharing essence. And we can just get so caught up in like fear and control and lack. And it's, you know, it's not a way to be, but I think that's like a, a battle that I'm in daily as just a human being on this earth of like, you know, it's find ways to give, find ways to share, find ways to show up. And I always feel much more fulfilled long term than when I'm, you know, taking for myself. Absolutely. That's a really, really beautiful point. And I think that anybody who goes through trials or through hardships, if you change the way that you look at it, this at least helped me through some of the things that I had been through growing up was I stopped treating my trials or the hardships, whether they were self-imposed or not as things that were out to get me and stopped blaming the world for them. And once I took responsibility and started realizing that they were blessings, I then, and I will always say this, your, your healing is complete when you take what you went through and you help somebody else. Right. And that's the most beautiful gift you have been given to help somebody else totally. and that they have been given. So I appreciate you saying that. Ryan, yeah. do you have anything like, to add? Oh, I'm like, sorry. Make your mess your message, right? Like, Aubrey, you know, make my shit, my mess, my message to somebody to help somebody. Um, make it mean something. Make the yeah. fact that you did that, make at least now that you're out, make it mean something. And, and something you just shared, Aubrey, is like, you, you went through a big shift of, right? It's like victim consciousness. I'm a victim of this circumstance and, and poor me, you know, and things are happening to me to like, no, like things are happening for me. And like, when you can see the blessing in it, I mean, that's a huge, huge level up when it's like, no, like this obstacle, this challenge, it, it's all for me, right? It's all to, to push me to my next level and to help me grow. And it's all, it's just like the game of life. And it's about leveling up and it's about learning. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's pretty fascinating. I mean, it changed my life. I'm sure it yeah. changed your guys' life, but that mindset sh mindset shift alone changed my life. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the people we help, I think, I mean, in my experience, like, it's a lot, you know, yes, like, there is legitimacy to, like, the trauma and the hardships and the suicide and whatever it is. Like, there is, like, that will affect how you show up in the world and how you behave and how you treat other people and yourself. But that's like a big part of what we do is that shift of like, okay, like these things happened. And I've noticed that a lot of people feel like victims, you know? And so it's, that's like at the infancy stage, like 
how do we start to move away from that, right? And not let these things from our past control our future, you know? And so we try to work on that. Which leads me into my next question for you guys is how did Spearhead Health start? Where did, how did you guys meet and where did this idea, I know you wanted to help people, but you said prior to that was just through, you know, you're helping other, other friends and your AA meetings and everything like that. But where did Spearhead really take off? Go ahead, Ron. I could speak forever on it. Sure. So, um, I mean, Dean and I, outside of just involvement in kind of local free recovery support communities, AA or, you know, any other that you could throw on the table, you know, we had both spent time working in the treatment industry, you know, and so Dean, a few years at a local place on, you know, in West LA, I had spent, you know, just over five years, one at a primary mental health facility for a couple of years, another dual diagnosis facility for like three and a half years. And, you know, I think just from both of our experiences combined and just, you know, obviously also being people that were the, the person on the other end receiving the services and having, you know, having the opportunity to look at it from like the provider providing the service and the person also having have received the service at various treatment centers. The two of us kind of were, I mean, we had frustrations about certain things about our industry. We also saw great things. Then obviously <clears throat> there was the underlying passion of like you guys just spoke about is like, how can we continue to take a very dark period of time and continue to turn it into light or into good. Um, and so that, I think that's kind of the underpinning is like, you know, we had had enough experience being on the other side and also working and providing service and being around the various people that provide service and treatment that we felt like let's go do our own thing. I mean, I think we just got tired of doing it for other people was one thing. And also, you know, the role that I was in specifically at the last program, I was doing admissions and business development. Really, I did both for that program. And, um, it was great because I got to travel and, you know, Dean was in a similar role. And so we got to get out and meet a bunch of other providers around the country and, you know, sit in CEU events, et cetera, learn a bunch of stuff, meet a bunch of people. But my, it wasn't like what I love doing necessarily. I didn't love trying to figure out, you know, essentially how do I bring awareness to the program, mm. you know, marketing and then getting people in the door, which I love doing admissions. I love getting that first call from a family that's like, we don't know what to do or the person reaching out for help because I can really connect to that person. But like going to five meetings a day and saying, hey, this is who we are. How can we work together? After a certain period of time, I'm like, yeah, my heart is not in this. Like it's necessary for somebody to do, but it's not my thing. Like I'd rather sit across the table from the kid or the family that's struggling and get to know that person and figure out like, how can we spearhead help this person move forward in their life? And I know Dean felt similarly to me in that. And so that was sort of the catalyst, you know, and we met at a uh, Shabbat dinner through a really great mutual friend of ours, um, you know, and we, we just sort of took it from there and started to get to know each other over, over time. And, um, 
really, I think that music was a big part of like our connection. We had similar interests in music. Mm. Uh, and for me, that's a big thing, especially, you know, that was a big part of my life as well and Dean's as well. And when you're in like a jam band scene, there's kind of like this automatic bond that comes with like, oh, you like Sound Tribe? I like Fish. You like Grateful Dead? And I was just going to ask what kind of music. I'm so interested. Yeah. And so when I heard that, I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Another dude in recovery that's into jam band music. Like it kind of tells me a little bit about a person when I hear that about them like because I was around those scenes for so long and when I heard that about Dean I'm like all right I want to get to know this dude more you know and I want to let Dean share a little bit on this as well but I think that we had both been in the position of trying to like we wanted to do something on our own but it was like and who do we want that person to be and it's a tough decision because essentially you get married you know and um you know, here we are, still trucking along. Wisely. What's that? Choose wisely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I'd passed up on a, a handful of people. It is, you know, your business partner, you guys are together every day, you become good friends. And, you know, Ryan and I are, we're certified in the state of California, we're KDACs, we're drug and alcohol counselors, right? And you know, there was a lot of fear around like not being a psychologist or a therapist. We work with, you know, a bunch of them and they're part of our team. But, you know, there's always that kind of insecurity of like, well, I'm not this and I'm not smart enough and I don't have enough experience. Right. And, you know, and a couple people that I've met with, like were, you know, in their master's programs and I've come to find out and, and we truly believe that, you know, just showing up and having the skill set and the ability to connect with somebody is it's the most important thing, right? Like, it's a a fact, it's a proven, you know, data statistical fact, uh, that the most important data point, and like the success of treatment is that therapeutic alliance, right? Is like, does the participant trust you and is like willing to take some advice, right? And so that's like the number one thing when it comes to the success of people in treatment is that alliance between, you know, provider and participant or counselor or client, whatever it is. And, you know, we've tried to really create like a special group of people and, and a team that's open-minded and, you know, our philosophy being there are many paths to the top of the mountain, you know, we're not going to box you in you know, if A is not your thing, like, we'll try something else. And and you have a say in your plan, you know, in your treatment. And I think, you know, something interesting that we haven't touched on is like the spectrum of services that we offer. It's so cool, because it can be like a couple hours a week of mentoring and coaching and being a role model and putting some structure in these participants days you know, that's like a lower end of the spectrum. Maybe the person already has like a psychiatrist and therapist. And then the other side of that spectrum is like, you know, person's coming from a, maybe a psych ward or a psychiatric hospital, or they've been kicked out of a treatment center, or, you know, they have no team around them and they're in crisis. And we are called to like completely provide wraparound care and support 
And what that can look like is, you know, Ryan and I, a psychiatrist, medication stabilization, a trauma therapist, a private yoga teacher, you know, an Airbnb with the sober companion, we're like, you're just like surrounded by love and support. And, you know, that's like more acute. And that's somebody that needs more support. But I think it's really cool being a smaller organization and, and being able to be nimble and flexible and literally have the resources to provide like at home treatment all the way around, like every single thing that this person needs and like specific to their, you know, their diagnosis, but their circumstance, but also like their goals and what they like and maybe like old hobbies, you know, and, and the ability to like travel around the country and go on trips and explore nature and go snowboarding. So it's really cool. You have this spectrum of, you know, we work with outpatients and sober livings where there's already a little structure and maybe the person just needs someone to connect with to like, hey, we're really going to customize this thing out for you, you know, and that takes, you know, a lot of resources and it takes trust and patience. But that's like really what I love about what we do. And I think my favorite part is the higher end of the spectrum to really be able to like tailor make a plan for somebody and find the, you know, the right people and find the right therapist. Cause like I said, that alliance is so crucial. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that maybe differentiates us from other case management companies is like, we really, yeah, I, I can't speak for all of them, but we really put in like the focus, the time, the energy, like the matchmaking process to, you know, try to ensure success. This is my mind's like, I have so many questions for you, but you answered some of them, which was, and we'll get into this because I want to know more about what differentiates you. And it sounds like so much in this custom made treatment plan. I know for myself and probably for a lot of people, I would so much rather sit in front of somebody or have care from someone that knows exactly what I went through and can relate. And like you said, like, I think Ryan, you said this, like, get comfortable, get on their level and be like, I've been there. I'd so much rather be in front of that person than someone who's read it in a textbook. Like, it's yeah. great that you got your degree in it, but I'd so much rather have that kind of care. And sounds like what you guys do, which was my question is, how are you different from other treatment facilities? And it sounds like it's really custom to the person and their needs. And you do so many various activities to help them in all areas of their life. So if you guys could expand on that more, I would love to hear. I'll, I'll go a little go ahead, bit. Ryan. Yeah, I mean, I think one team did a really good job of depicting kind of like the array or just the, the gap and how far we can go from how little to how, how big. And, um, you know, to give, I guess, more specifically, ideas as to what it's looked like or what some experiences that we've had you know we've had <clears throat> you know there's been a young guy that was out here from Virginia and was finishing an aftercare program probably been there for a few months and was moving into an apartment and in LA and working at like Fox Studios or something like that family's back in Virginia he has no accountability they just invested all this money on the front end and treatment and they wanted to have some level of monitoring somebody to help introduce him to the recovery community in LA it's a bit daunting when you're 20 years old in a big city you have no support you just move from Orange County to LA for a job you're new in recovery and so in that case it was more so of a 
it was case management or therapeutic management is what we call it, but it wasn't necessarily a situation of crisis or high level of acuity. It was more like, hey, let's help launch this guy in LA. And so Dean was the one working with this person. And, you know, that looked like meeting with this guy a couple of times a week in person, checking in with him. How are things going overall? What are your goals? You know, taking him to AA meetings. The guy was in AA. He had already had some experience in AA while he was in treatment in Orange County. And so it was like, we'll plug him in directly with our people in recovery. You know, it's like, I just today and yesterday, I'm texting with a girl that I, whose family I helped that's from New Jersey is now in the Hamptons. She was in at a program in Tennessee on site for a little while. We helped get her there. And she's now back in New York. Like I'm overwhelmed. There's so many meetings. I don't know which meeting to go to. You know, and so I've got, we've got resources in New York of people that are in recovery, whether they're clinicians or not, that I'm like, hey, do you know some solid meetings for us to link this girl up with? You know, she's got seven or eight meetings with people that we personally know. There's automatically a more sense of comfort than walk. Anybody that's listening to this that's ever been to any sort of SLA, AA, HA, whatever A it is if you don't have somebody to go to one of those meetings with the first time, and especially now when everything's on zoom, mm -hmm. the likelihood of you going back without something else, really, there really being a catalyst for you to go back isn't very high. Right. You know, so, you know, in that case, it was like, Hey man, let's get this dude set up in LA, just have some accountability for him. Initially there was no drug testing. He had some slip ups. We put drug testing and monitoring in place, regular communication with the family updates, coordinating care with his, you know, had to get him set up with a therapist, had to get him set up with a local psychiatrist working in conjunction with them. So all of our goals were all on the same page. We're obviously not psychiatrists or therapists, Psychiatrist, therapist, or, you know, psychiatrist is maybe with him 30 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. Therapist, you know, maybe a couple hours a week, depending on how much the guy needs. We kind of fill in the gap for all the other hours of the day. You can call us any time, any day. The therapists know that. The psychiatrists know that. The family knows that. The participant knows that. And so we really stand in a position of kind of quarterbacking the overall care. And so that's more of like a... A minimal I guess you could say case management case whereas we've had a guy that was bipolar one multiple hospitalizations from Charlotte North Carolina you know father had committed suicide a handful of years ago just you know severe meth addiction lots of trauma you know one of the most challenging people I think Dean or I have ever worked with um, you know, struggling with the sexual identity, just a lot going on, very complex. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, obviously a mom that feels some sense of guilt because of the dad being, you know, no longer in his life. There's just a ton to unpack and unravel and get on the same page. And, you know, he, the, the guy himself was not, a one of the sweetest humans you'll ever meet, but when he's not in a good place, he's also you'd be scared of him. Um, and, and he, he'd tell you that, you know? Um, and so in that case, it was like, we, we usually try to start lighter and let the person prove to us, like, is this appropriate or is this not, you know, we're not going to 
make decisions that are inappropriate per se, but there, you could go find another group that's going to say, Hey, this guy needs a 24 seven companion, put him in residential treatment for 90 days because there's a sense of safety and security or because they're going to make 120 grand off of that, whatever the case may be. We're more like, let's save this family money. We know this is a long-term thing and figure out, obviously we want to be in the picture. I, I want to be in the person's life forever. You know, I'm not saying with them paying us, but I'd love getting a check in from somebody a year after the fact saying, Hey man, how are you doing? And then saying, this is how I'm doing. And to hear that, that doing, that's like the reward for us. There's nothing more rewarding than going through hell with someone mm. like this guy, you know, this guy's kicked out from one place to another place to another place, probably five places. Mm-hmm. He just did not fit in into the milieus. And sometimes it's really difficult to find places that have the ability to support somebody that has, is just a very complex case, high level of acuity, behavioral issues, not necessarily manic, but still having psychotic symptoms. What a lot of places will do is, hey, they need to have a one-on-one if they're going to be in our center, which for a family, I mean, you're looking at anywhere from $1,000 a day to $2,000 a day, depending on the company that you hire. Sometimes that doesn't work. And then for us, like with that specific guy, it was like the biggest thing for him was he needed some consistently consistency mm-hmm. because getting him somewhere for two weeks and then getting kicked out, it's like no work can really be done because he's constantly bouncing from place to place to place. And so I got to a point where I was like, we got on the phone with the mom and, you know, Tina and I had spoken with our clinical advisor at the time about this idea. And, you know, we were like, why don't we put him in an Airbnb and build a treatment team around him, which Dean kind of referenced. And, you know, it was going to cost the family a good bit of money, but it's like, rather make the investment now than keep bouncing him from place to place to place. He's been doing this for the last five years, been to, you know, more than a dozen treatment centers all around the country. I said, we just tell her the truth, tell her what we're gonna do. At the time, we had never done it before. And so I said, let's say to the mom, like, hey, we haven't done this before. We had already worked with them several months. There was a level of trust there. She had worked with enough people in our industry prior to us that, you know, it's like, we just did some filming. It's like, you can get a sense of feeling when you've been in this space and navigated it long enough of like, who really cares who's really not just going to say screw it when it gets hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't take very long and, and enough experiences with a challenging son or family member, like you're going to figure that out within a year's time. So the mom went for it and we said, we've got an Airbnb right outside of like studio city, had somebody there with him, sober companion, a guy named Adrian, an incredible human being, big time surfer, loves to cook huge into health and wellness was just a badass guy so the client had him there with him 24 7 day in day out there's making plans for the day therapist coming by twice a week psychiatrist coming by once a week yoga teacher coming by three times a week so you're getting essentially what you would have gotten in a treatment facility minus a lot of fluff a lot of downtime and maybe some groups you know that was the only downside of it is like there isn't that in a case like that there's not a group community which is huge for us but in his case he continued to get kicked out of group community so it was like we had to make that sacrifice to get this guy with enough ground underneath his feet 
and hope that going to meetings and things of that nature that don't necessarily cost the family any money, he'll begin to establish some sense of recovery community beyond Spearhead. Beyond that. So hopefully that gives you a better idea of kind of like more specifically what it looks like. You know, no, absolutely. And this is incredible what you guys are doing because there are treatment centers and I think it's a, it's a new age way of treatment. It's a, it's a new way of doing things because it's not just treatment center. You're done back out in the streets. This, the consistency is vital and someone who doesn't give up on you and not, and someone who doesn't, like you said, put this person in a box, give them a one size fits all coaching or treatment plan. Like there are so many different people with different needs. And the fact that you guys are able to tailor this to the person is just incredible to me. And I think I've, I've never heard of anything like that. I'm not as familiar with the world, but I think what you guys are doing is very, very important and extremely needed. And, and just to quickly explain to everybody, this isn't just for addicts, correct? Like you said, this is for any kind of mental health from, to explain a little bit, like the services that you guys offer and for who. Primarily, it's typically going to be people with either substance use or mental health issues or typically younger adults with behavioral issues if we're dealing with younger adults. So in that case, more like mentors, but it's anything from consultations to helping a family saying, hey, our son needs a therapist. We don't necessarily know of anybody that we trust. We know that you guys work with people on a regular basis. Can you help us with some referrals to me or Dean or one of our other team members getting on a plane and meeting with a family in another state and doing an intervention and helping then transport that family member to treatment. As far as the people though, I mean, those are kind of the, that's the demographic. It's typically going to be somebody that's had some substance use issues, somebody that has some level of mental health struggles or behavioral issues. And you guys have coaches, you guys have psychologists, you guys have a whole team, a whole um, network of connects for different kinds of treatment, correct? Exactly. Yep. 100%. Yep. Amazing. Um, One last thing before we take off here, I really want um, to ask you guys, what is advice that you could give uh, someone listening to this, a struggling parent or family or, or young adult that knows they need help but aren't sure the first steps to take or you know they feel hopeless what what's an advice that you could give so the, there's a big obviously there's a stigma right around drug addiction mental health you know or if it's like are your are your morals poor if you're shooting heroin or doing cocaine or you you can't put down you know the bottle of whiskey or you know is it is it a moral thing or is it just like i can't fucking stop right like i have something that's different from my peers so and especially in the jewish community it's really like it's not really discussed like it's taboo and so I think in today's world, you know, you have a lot of these celebrities and influencers and athletes like talking about mental health and, you know, like the, the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, my football team, Dak Prescott, like talking about how therapy was really helpful when his brother committed suicide. And so we're, we're, we're moving into a kind of a new age of like, like mental health is like trendy now. Right. And it's like, it's cool to like go to therapy and, and it's, and to talk about it. So 
and and there's still a stigma around it right like oh like right like your kid has bipolar like that's a brain imbalance that's a genetic thing like he can't control that like there's nothing wrong with him you know so my whole thing is like if you're a struggling parent if you're a struggling person like i know it's very difficult but just like reach out like whether to your primary care physician a family friend that's had a son or daughter struggle you know and just start to like open up and ask questions and be vulnerable and so this is to like the parents that don't know what to do or the 18 to 45 year old successful not successful rich poor it doesn't matter it's like you know my whole thing is like just reach out and and even to to a friend right cuz I feel like in the world today, everyone's been touched by mental health or, you know, substance abuse, whatever it is, or depression or anxiety or suicide, you know, these things, yeah. like we've all been touched by it. Your, your second cousin, your cousin, your best friend, your son, your daughter, like everyone's been affected. It's just mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, our, it's, life can be hard and it's, you know, it can be, our world can be a difficult place. It doesn't have to be, but it can be, and it can be a, a hard thing to navigate. And we're all on our journeys in our past. So that's my whole thing is like, just reach out. And it doesn't matter to who, like you're really a good friend, somebody you trust, someone you feel you can be vulnerable with, you know, your family friend that you know, that's had a struggling son, right? And so like, there's people out there that can help you and, and guide you. And, and that's, you know, hopefully you're lucky enough to make it to like Orion, a Dean, a Spearhead Health, or, you know, somebody like that, uh, that really understands. Because it, it is a world, like, it's confusing with like insurance and this and in-network and not, and there's thousands of places. And, you know, everyone will say like, that they want to make sure it's the right fit. But, you know, at the end of the day, like it's a business and there's people that end up at the wrong, at the wrong places. Right. And so that's kind of where we come in and advocate for you, for your loved one. Like, let's really match this up appropriately. Let's, you know, paint an entire picture of the last 10, 20 years. um, And let's work it out and figure it out together. But that's my, my thing. Like just make the call, pick up the phone, like, have you know gain muster up some courage right and and some humility and and just see where that takes you right see what sharing about your experience with one good friend and being vulnerable like that might lead you to like the right therapist or you know what I mean it's kind of just snowballs so that's my my thing on it yeah I mean I think admitting that you need help and being a just knowing that you don't need to do it alone. There's a lot of people who think they can handle it alone. And even if you can handle it, it doesn't mean you need to. And the faster that you accept and look for help, the faster you're going to get through whatever you're going through. So thank you for saying that. Definitely. All right. Well, Ryan, do you have anything else to add? I think that's a perfect answer. Amazing. Thank you guys so much for being on today. It was really a pleasure. And I think that you guys are at the forefront of an amazing new age. Like you said, Dean, everyone these days needs help and in some way, shape or form. And you guys are doing an amazing job at that. And what you do at Spearhead is fascinating. So please tell our listeners where they can find you. And you guys, I will put it in the show notes, but just verbally where they can find you, your website, your Facebook, your Instagram, 
Yeah, our website is just spearheadhealth.com, www.spearheadhealth.com. And our Instagram is also spearheadhealth. Yeah, I think, right, Ryan? That's it. Spearhead Health, that's it. Uh, and happy holidays to you, Aubrey, and, and your family and your loved ones. I hope you take some time to recharge and that everyone takes some time for themselves just to take a breath and you know, wrap up this difficult year of 2020 and COVID. And, you know, I'm optimistic that we're turning a corner and, you know, I'm hopeful that we have a, a better year around the corner. Absolutely. Thank you. And to you guys as well, everyone stay safe, stay happy out there and have a happy holiday. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Next Level You. If you like what you hear, please let me know in a review and don't forget to click that subscribe button to follow along. You can find me on Instagram at aubrey.thomas. I cannot wait to share what's coming next, so stay tuned and as always, keep rising ladies. <laughs>